Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5 featuring two veterans of the show and one newbie. I am your newbie host, Justin, and here to help me along are my co-hosts, Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, I have a specific question for you this evening. Oh, good. Interesting. Do you believe in magic? Well, thank you for putting that song in my head. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> go to hell. I do believe in magic. Uh, at least my son believes so, because that is how I get him to go to bed most nights, is I tell him that I am possessed of mighty magic, which protects our home, and I have imbued it into a handful of common household objects, which I have given him, uh, so that he can also have magic. So if you ever wonder why my son has a collection of keys, kitchen implements, and um, what was the most recent one? Oh, no. I don't remember what the most recent one was. He's got a whole menagerie of crap uh, in his room. <laughs> uh, that's why. This is a great piece of lore. I love this. Yeah. I, I would say that I don't believe in magic necessarily, but I do believe in some forms of superstition. So, for instance, if you are obtaining a new pet, that you should name that pet something that you feel is like aspirational for the for the personality you want that pet to have and that if you name that pet something negative you are doomed that explains a lot mm. <laughs> i named my pet marion pippin and i got two idiots so <laughs> wow i mean i mean i will i will freely admit that that superstition is not always entirely true but i did name one of my cats q after the character from star trek and she is a scheming bastard right. who i love very dearly and then there is of course uh close-up magic the dessert of magic which i absolutely believe in excellent excellent now dear listeners the reason that i have asked this question of my two co-hosts this evening is that we are only covering one episode this evening at I think my specific request, but also just the fact that we're not going to talk about anything else for the rest of this episode after I get done with the B plot, because we're going to do the B plot first tonight. We're doing some wizard shit. We have watched and we will be talking about season two, episode three, a geometry of shadows written by J. Michael Straczynski and directed by Mike Vahar. Uh We're going to cover the B plot slash C plot first because it's, quick fun and frankly i just want to get to the big meat of it because there's the a plot is much more important yeah the drazi who are an alien race on the station who number in uh the about 2000 if i remember correctly are conducting part of their cultural political process where every five years they split their race into two teams green and purple denoted by stylish cloth ascots to decide who gets to run things for the next half decade, violently. 
Ivanova has been tasked with finding an end to the violence in the station, as it befits her newly promoted rank of commander. Yay, Ivanova. Good for her. Yeah. Things don't go well. The first meeting in council chambers ends in a huge fight with the Drazi, with Ivanova breaking her foot. The Drazi then escalate to murder, and eventually kidnapping Ivanova, so she stops interfering. Garibaldi pulls himself out of a post-getting-shot depression to rescue Ivanova, and the two of them find a clever solution when Ivanova steals the Green Leader's ascot. She becomes Green Leader and has all of the Green Team dye their uh, sashes purple. It's a very cute, dorky B-plot. Go watch it. It's fine. It really isn't of any consequence. It's fun. My favorite part of it is the uh, the way the Drazi talk about it. Oh, yeah. Green green leader, green. Purple leader, wear purple. Green, green follow green, green leader. Yeah. Purple follow purple leader. It's all very natural. Yeah. Purple. Green. <laughs> like, it's very good. My favorite bit with that is also when at some point uh, they refer to it as natural selection. <laughs> yes. And it's like, buddy, buddy, you pulled him out of a vat. Yeah. But there's no, there's no genetic aspect here. There's no trait to be passed on. It's very good. Um, I, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later, but I want to get to the beef of this episode, which is the A-plot. It is the beef, the turkey, the chicken, and possibly all meat that we could ask for. The turducken of the episode? It is the turducken. Our A-plot starts with Lord Rifa, a Centauri noble who is congratulating Londo on his attack on the outpost in Quadrant 37. However he did that. Shadows! Cough! Cough! He brings Londo in on a conspiracy to seize the throne from the aging emperor to restore the empire to its rightful place in the stars. He believes that their conspiracy needs a sign for this to gain favor and that Londo will be that sign. As Londo sees Rifa off at customs, he spies a Technomage. Technomages are eccentric people who use science to achieve the effects of magic. And to see them away from their places of power is very strange. But to see three, as there are on the station now, Londo thinks that it is a very bad omen. Londo speaks with Veer on the Zokolo later and asks him if he believes in fate. Londo believes the Technomages are a sign. The first Centauri Emperor was given the blessing of three Technomages, and he wishes to get something of the same. Londo instructs Veer to arrange for the Technomages to meet with them. Veer warily visits the Technomages, trying to introduce himself in the most theatrical of entrances, involving a holographically generated monster, the lead Technomage appears. He declines the request. The Technomages have nothing they wish to say to anyone on this side of the rim anymore, and they do not care for money. As the lead mage leaves, he introduces himself as Elric, and gives Veer a warning with an old saying, do not try the patience of wizards, for they are subtle and quick to anger. Veer tries to explain to Londo that money and power are no object for the Technomages, but Londo is eager to get their blessing. If they won't come to him, he'll try something else. Sheridan gets a visit from Londo, who tries to tell Sheridan they are sources of trouble. Sheridan is a little suspicious as there are almost a hundred Technomages on the station, so he gets conned into getting Elric summoned to his office in the name of security. 
Elric explains that the Technomages are of no threat, but Sheridan gets a little impatient. The Technomage insists that they have the right to their freedom to move as they wish and to emigrate where they want. Londo shows up and Elric informs Sheridan that he has been used and that Londo has been trying to get an audience. When Londo denies this, Elric plays a recording of Veer's visit. Londo apologizes and offers him his hands and friendship. Elric sees right through this and picks out Londo's attempt to record the event by blowing up the hidden camera. Elric scolds him and tells him that he will learn matters, and Sheridan is rightfully pissed at Londo. Sheridan takes Elric on a stroll through the station, and Elric asks him if he believes in magic. Sheridan thinks that maybe he once did when he was younger, but he still knows that there are things that they don't understand. Elric explains that to people of a past age, Babylon 5 would be something magical, or at least magical to the human heart, and that it is within those ambiguities that technomages live, offering the following explanation of what they are. We are, we are dreamers, dreamers shapers, shapers, singers, and makers. We study the mysteries of laser and circuit, crystal and scanner, holographic demons and invocations of equations. These are the tools we employ, and we know many things, such as the true secrets, the important things, 14 words to make someone fall in love with you forever, seven words to make them go without pain, how to say goodbye to a friend who is dying, how to be poor, how to be rich, how to rediscover dreams when the world has stolen them from you. That is why we are going away, to preserve that knowledge. He tells Sheridan that they are going away to avoid a dark storm, to avoid these knowledges being misused or lost. He asks Sheridan to trust them, but they cannot reveal where they are going. Elric places something in Sheridan's hand, an orange blossom, like those Sheridan grew up with in his father's backyard. Back in Londo's quarters, he's going through hell. There is a hollow demon fucking with his computers, making bad financial decisions, including 500,000 shares in a spoo farm, and playing Narn Opera. Veer suggests apologizing to Elric, and Londo relents. He visits the Technomages and fearfully apologizes. He leaves, carrying some hollow gremlins with him. As the Technomages leave in customs, Londo meets with Elric. Londo asks if he will have to keep paying for his mistake. Elric says that he has removed the spell, but that he will have to pay for his mistakes, the ones he will commit later. He informs Londo that he is touched by darkness, a blemish that will grow with time. I could warn you, but you would not listen. I could kill you, but someone will take your place. So I do the only thing I can. I go. Reminded that Londo wanted an endorsement, he adds, As I look at you, Ambassador Mallory, I see a great hand reaching out of the stars. The hand is your hand. And I hear sounds. The sounds of billions of people calling your name. My followers? Your victims. Londo is left stunned, and Sheridan grants the Technomage's departure. As they go off into the unknown, Sheridan believes that they won't see them again. But he wants to believe in magic. It's such a good episode. It really is. It is a fantastic episode for it being our, poss- our, our much derided trope of someone coming to the station. <laughs> yeah. 
but it, there there is an internal conflict that is dealt with the B plot though, which I think I think that that balances it, and the B plot also slaps. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, agreed. The B plot is really fun. It is. I I, I want to just go on that real quick because it is a little, it is fun. Just the entire drawsy bit is so just. It's super silly. Um, I like that it's, I mean, yes, it's completely stupid that a race would like, what kind of an idiot race would randomly sort themselves into two groups ideolo- with, uh, with random ideological <laughs> differences and then fight to the death over it? That's fucking stupid. Harry Potter fans? I was going to say <laughs> Americans, but sure, that works too. No, I, I, I mean... The Drazi are fucking hilarious. I think the 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 purple and green thing is is fantastic. Um, but my favorite part of the B plot uh, is for sure the the little bit of like character development you get between Sheridan and Ivanova. Mm-hmm. You get a real sense that these are two people who know each other, and the way that Sheridan is like, "Congrats, you're promoted," and like now you get to do a little more. You have a little more responsibility. Have fun with this. Like, it very much feels like a thing that someone who knows Ivanova would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and where she's both excited and like, oh boy, I have to deal with this now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's a it's a it's fun to see Ivanova not completely in charge and owning things. Because that's so rare for her to not be like the boss. So to see her sort of out of depth is really fun. And there's some there's some really solid acting from Claudia Christian as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite bits of this episode is where is is the bit where she angrily yanks off the greed leader's sash and just is like slow realization of what she has done and what she gets to do and the the drowsy leader sheepishly explaining that yeah, we never anticipated aliens, and, ev- and it's caught up in committee. Oh, yeah, the yeah. caught up in the rules committee. Yeah. is the fucking rule change caught up thing. in committee. <laughs> yeah, and and where she she like yanks off the sash in anger, and then they all just stare at her, just shocked and horrified. It's yeah. great. Yeah, the w- one of the things that I think is really impressive about Babylon Five in general is some of these actors are acting underneath a lot of prosthetics and they managed to do some really good like nonverbal acting despite it the i'm thinking specifically of the moment when she yanks off green leaders ascot and he just goes rigid as a board and like you can see on his face just this like uh oh and it's real good. I think a lot of those actors, and they kind of reuse the same actors underneath different prosthetics mm-hmm. a lot, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have and a, I think it's, a factoid Yeah, I think it's, it's people who are really good at, like, the body language aspect and acting with their whole body, not just face. Yeah. In particular. Yeah, in season one... So this is off of uh, Lurker's Guide, obviously. In season one, they had five people in the alien rep group. I don't know why they called it that, but they did. Uh, and these were people who were good with the prosthetics. They did a lot of the speaking roles for aliens. Uh, in season 
two, they grew that group to 12, which is why you see a lot more uh, aliens interacting in season two. Interesting. Because they found more people that were good with the um, with the prosthetics. Yeah, I know that it seems to be a common thing, just like from my reference from just like past shows that I've watched and like looking at background and stuff, is that it's it's at least somewhat common that people develop allergies to the prosthetics. Mm-hmm. Like I know um, Farscape, there was at least one actor who like they yeah. had to completely redesign the character. <laughs> She had to leave the show. Oh, right, 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 right. It's been like 15 years since I've watched her, that show. Yeah, her, her character was killed off. She had to leave the show because I, I think it was a life-threatening allergy in that case. Dang. Yeah. Other fun factoids about this episode, about the B-plot? The episode had to be rewritten completely at the last minute uh, because Claudia Christensen b- broke her foot. In the scene at the beginning where her foot's not broken, she is walking on a broken foot. Oh, uh, gosh. Like a trooper. And then that's why it breaks like right away because she didn't want to have to do that more than necessary. Um, yeah. In that version, I think she still gets caught, taken prisoner, but she breaks out entirely on her own. Mm-hmm. Like she has an action sequence all on her own. Mm-hmm. But obviously with a broken foot, she couldn't do all that on her own. So they added Garibaldi cottoning on to her being captured and helping her break out because they needed – uh, someone to be the the actiony part of that scene. Okay. So they inserted Garibaldi. And that that dovetailed pretty decently with getting Garibaldi like a reason to get back into action. Yeah, I think Although it worked I'm, out. I know that we all wish that Garibaldi had just like peaced out and gone away, and we'd never see see him again. Yeah, agreed. The last one I've got for the B plot is uh. JMS confirmed that Garibaldi playing with the cap to his PPG was indeed supposed to be him contemplating suicide. Which feels Eesh. really off with the rest of the tone of the episode. Yeah, it's a weirdly dark moment. Because like, I, I thought it was just like, because I thought it was just like him doing like the badass man pain thing where you see in like cop dramas of somebody like disassembling and reassembling their gun. Yeah, but it's not quite that. It's like it's like essentially loading and unloading. Yeah, it, it's, which has a different feel to it. Yeah, it it definitely is is a real different energy, especially for the B plot, which is a real kind of a lighthearted romp of a B plot. It's a super different energy to have Garibaldi sitting there like one bad moment away from, you know. Yeah splattering himself all over his daffy duck poster so yeah yeah not cool so that's the b plot i love the b plot yeah this is i think this might be the best b plot that we've seen yet like or it's it's the most complimentary b plot yeah uh it's definitely up there for sure because tko has the best b plot but it's the b plot is the best part of that episode Yeah. Uh, yeah yeah Yeah, I think in terms of a great episode with a great B-plot that balances everything out nicely, this is, is, yeah, this is probably the best one. And actually, minute for minute, um, the B-plot actually has almost the same screen time. I was kind of watching it today and uh, keeping track of time, Mm -hmm. not precisely, but roughly, and they've got... They've got 
nearly the same amount of screen time, which is wild considering how much is packed into the A plot. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. I, I just really like this B plot. I think it's it's fun and it serves, it does exactly what you want the B plot to do. Yeah, which is uh, like highlight a character or make some mm-hmm. small bit of world building. Yep. Let's talk about some wizard shit. Yes. It's wizard time. You have you have a note about JMS like vehemently denying one supposed origin of the Techno Mages. Yeah. Uh he was accused so in case you haven't picked up on it or you we haven't mentioned it explicitly, when we talk about Lurker's Guide, Lurker's Guide is a website that catalogs one of its functions is that it catalogs JMS's interactions with fans on early internet news groups for Babylon 5 back in the 90s. So like alt.tv.sci-fi.babylon5 or whatever. Um, I mention this only so that you know that the people he was talking to, by and large, were big fucking nerds. Because yeah. the people that were like down in these dank corners of news groups were the kind of people that would play Shadowrun. And that is why he had to deny that the Techno Mages were a ripoff of Shadowrun, which is not a thing that a TV showrunner would normally have to deny. And that's, that's interesting to me in that, um, I feel like the, of course, this is an RPG that came out after the show, but the RPG archetype that the Technomages remind me of the most are the Nanos from Numenera. Yeah, uh, there's for sure a little bit of Technomage in the Nanos, for sure. And I may have played a Nano named Elric at some point. <laughs> nice. So, by the way, when, when we talk about Lurker's Guide and, like, JMS's, like, interactions with fans, do not think this is, like, a structured thing. This is basically the 90s equivalent of an author, quote, tweeting people on Twitter. And yeah. JMS has that exact same tone that he talks to people with. Mm-hmm. We'll get into one spicy one next episode. Yeah. But um, I did not see my, my initial thought was that uh, this is all based off of somebody who brought their D&D character to JMS's Traveler game. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And refused to respec. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> to stay on the gamer angle. What I love about Techno Mages is Techno Mages are so committed to the bit. They make LARPing cool. They do. They do. I I legitimately have in my notes for these episodes. Why do these fucking nerds get to be this cool? Like, you look at the art. Like, I swear to God, one of those hollow demons is like just a straight up like demon from like the monster man, like the D&D monster (laughs) manual. I swear to God. And I'm imagining somebody, one of these techno mages like. You know, pulling out like a hallowed tome that is like a 90s <laughs> copy of the monster manual and being like this th- from this hallowed tomb, I summon thee and projecting a, a, a hollow demon from, you know, a third edition monster manual. Like <laughs> I, I absolutely you, you totally get this feeling that they're fucking LARPers that 
just they somehow they 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 somehow managed to stick the bit so hard they managed to make it real and now it's cool yeah because they're they're so sincere too yeah also on the game angle for there there is for the official licensed Babylon 5 RPG there is a techno mage supplement i mean okay so the techno mages one have a bomb ass aesthetic they are also the like if nothing else the fact of like all of their dumb references prove how just like dedicated to the bit there are i mean our our wonderful techno mage that we get the only one with the speaking role is named fucking elric yeah and i his cannot name... tell you how hard i groaned <laughs> yeah his name is elric and he quotes, he quotes fellowship <laughs> He quotes Fellowship, right? And he throws yeah. out like a goddamn like monster manual demon, hollow demon. Like, uh, it kills me that it's and and as you said, it kills me that he's cool. Yeah. Like I want to hate the the techno mages because they're so fucking nerdy, but it works. And it's not just because the dude like owns it. Yeah, the Michael Atara like, in this role fucking has just so much charisma yeah if they I mean, had, if they had not. in general yeah is just like powerful there are like 10 actors in the world who could pull off this character and not have it look like fucking nerdy yeah if they had not stuck the landing with that actor this episode would have gone a really different direction it's, it's funny because they picked an actor who would have been super recognizable to anybody watching the show okay. that like everybody had got to be like that's Kang. Imagine though like if they had picked someone who had like 10% less gravitas. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of like imagine they put like Jonathan Frakes. Oh no. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, like well, somebody at that level. I I feel like I feel like if you don't cast this dude you cast like, like whatever British actor you can grab from that that's available that week, mm-hmm. and this episode is like, it is just like mid tier compared to like, yeah, what this is. Um, yeah, it doesn't land. Like you have to have just the right actor for it to make it work. And it totally Patrick does. Stewart could probably pull it off. Patrick Stewart would just like it would be a very different episode because he would oh, go yeah. all in, and that would be so much ham on biscuit. <laughs> yeah, the thing about Patrick Stewart, and I, don't get me wrong, I love me some Pat Stew, but the thing about Patrick Stewart is the only role I think I've ever seen Patrick Stewart look like he actually like bu- like buys what he's. Therefore, is like Logan <laughs> and late season TNG. Like the first couple seasons of TNG, like it's he's basically doing this for a paycheck. Well, yes, but I mean, it's not. It's like he's riding on just pure British Shakespearean charisma. Like you can see, there's somebody holding up a key, a, a, a cue card that says like dilithium chamber, and he's and inside his head, he's just being like. I could be doing Shakespeare somewhere. Fucking dilithium chambers. Like, 
<laughs> Eventually, he got that like this was a thing that had its own internal logic and value. But it definitely feels like those first couple seasons, he's just like, what is this nerd shit I have found myself in? And yet he still carries the seasons. And he still carries it. But I think on Babylon 5, I feel like in a one-off episode, I feel like he would, he would, his gravitas would be up here, but also his earnestness would be like, like right there. And this guy feels what you need for this episode and for this character for it to work is he has to act like he has to sell the bit. And this guy sells the bit. I know who yeah. would do a good job. Who, who, like, who else? Like, is the other sort of like tier of actor who would get who would sell it and be good? At Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs mm-hmm. would totally do this. We would get much more. We would get more Herbert West re- reanimator, like <laughs> than, than yeah. like what we got from Elric. But like, that's the sort of like he could do that. That yeah but, yeah oh yeah. I just they're also like just. I, I love that this episode also opens up a whole new world of lore for us to, like, speculate about. So, for instance, you know, we just see human technomages in this episode. Or at least human-looking technomages. Yeah, yeah. And, but we know that they've been around for ages. And the first Centauri Emperor was crowned or was given blessings by three. Right. So they've got to be, you know... Either it's something that has arisen independently somehow in various, in which case that's oh my a God. wild thing. Is techno, are, are technomages the carcinization of magic? I mean, it might be, but but like, or it's some sort of like ancient order that spans the stars and both are fucking fascinating. It's like, yeah, it's like how octopi, octopi dream, right? Which is like, Either that means that the most recent common ancestor of humans and octopi, which functionally did not have a brain, could dream. Or it means that dreaming evolved completely separately. And it's so cool either way. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would love to see that you know, Elric is clearly pulling off of a lot of human perceptions of magic and kind of <laughs> human magical lore. Oh, that's a fucking cool point. I hadn't even thought of that. I would love to see Technomages, like, drawing on, say, a Mimbari Technomage drawing on Mimbari concepts of magic, which, like, have got to exist. Yeah, but that would be so interesting because, like, a lot of the appearance and acting of the Technomages, at least of the human ones, are, like, they're very performative, and that would be so interesting to see what Mbari ones are like, because I Mbari do not feel very performative as a society. Yeah. Well, yeah. The that would be so just... interesting to see what that looks like. JMS, you <laughs> give us this. Yeah. Well, the, the Technomages we see are very steeped in hum- the, the human cultural context of magic. Yeah. And that makes it very recognizable as magic to us as viewers yeah. that I think it would be a lot harder to throw a Centauri Technomage at us and have us, you know, recognize that this is a space tech wizard. Yeah, but Londo immediately recognizes them for what they are. Oh, yeah. So there has to be... Which is wild. 
Yeah, so there has to be some sort of common visual component there. Um, but yeah, the idea of like, what does Centauri magic look like? What is the Centauri cultural context of magic? What does the Minbari, the Narn cultural context of magic look like? What is, and therefore, what is like a Centauri or what does a Narn technomage do? What do they look like? Is it syncretic? Do they have their own factions? Fuck. What if, what if it's like, okay, what if it's just like that, like, tech, because really the only people who like really jump out at the technomages is are like Londo and Veer. And everyone else sort of just like sort of just like gets introduced to them through Londo and Veer. Yeah. What if they're just a bunch what if they're just like this little thing, but Londo's a huge fucking nerd? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm like I'm mostly kidding. But this is also But, like, but also you're not, right? <laughs> a bit. Or like to to spin that a slightly different way, like Mm-hmm. <laughs> I almost spilled some beans. Um, yeah, take your take your headphones off. Wow, I was oh. not expecting this for this episode. <laughs> so let's boy. go. Activate gold channel one. Uh, the Centauri don't see, or at least Londo doesn't see. Well, no, it's it's Kosh. It's it's the whole the Centauri as a whole. Because they were, uh, they were interfered with by the shadows, and so n- none of the Centauri see Kosh. None of the Centauri see Kosh. As a I pe- thought, it was just Londo. No, it's the Centauri as a people. Oh fuck! Wow. They they don't wild. They don't see the Centauri. Uh, they don't see the Vorlons because the Vor- the Vorlons never had a presence there, or they had enough of a Isn't- presence to seed telepaths, but the shadows interfered. So they never maintained enough of a presence to implant that that cultural memory of what a Vorlon should look like. They don't have angels. So Wild. The idea that, that instead they have techno mages. They seize on techno mages instead. Wild. Oh, and uh, yeah, that that's that's fascinating. I mean, that's a whole lot. That's a whole other conversation yeah. we're going to have about like the whole Vorlon angel telepath connection once we yeah way down the the road once we learn what where telepaths come from and some of the differences between centauri and other races in terms of like that they they have this whole prophecy thing Mm -hmm. that we don't see anywhere else yeah (laughs) (sighs) hey we talked about something different this time yeah shockingly anyway I just have to say how much I love that little speech that Elric gives to Sheridan. And I I like this episode in general as Sheridan characterization that, you know, they're clearly, we've got a new station captain and they're clearly having to fit as much characterization. Like they have to fit a season's worth of characterization into just a few episodes to get us like up and running with him. And I really like the Sheridan that we see in these early episodes of season two, where he has this like sense of wonder about him, like that he's he's the guy who wants to believe in magic. He's the guy who, you know, 
you know, looks at the flower and is like, holy shit, that's cool. And, you know, the guy who memorizes the, you know, dreamers, makers, singers, etc. speech. Apparently, the early feedback on Sheridan uh, from the studio was... I think you might point that out elsewhere, but... I, uh, I know the piece of feedback. I think I think it fits in here. Yeah, the apparently the early feedback from uh, on Sheridan was that he smiles too much. That's really <laughs> unfortunate feedback because that's something that I really like about him here. Yeah, yeah. is that he's a pretty upbeat guy, mm-hmm. and I liked that upbeatness. Yeah, I like that, especially at this stage in where he is overall. The idea that he's fresh on the station after where he's been on this explorer ship, this exploratory ship, and the station is like it's a wonder to him. All these races, all this food. He's got a fucking hot shower. Like he's just kind of enjoying life right now, and having a glimpse into how he got there. Like these early episodes showing us a little bit about like what made him join the military and what made him want to take an explorer ship all the way out to the rim. Um, I think these are really fun episodes to show us who Sheridan is. And Sheridan's also a fucking dork. Yeah, he's a big dork. And yeah. I think that's, I think it's like, been really good. To, it, it it softens the blow of losing Sinclair because I really like Sinclair. And to have Sheridan come in and he's not Sinclair 2.0, but he's also yeah. not the opposite of Sinclair. He's just, he's, he's his own, he's, he's a very different character, but like an interesting one, a nuanced one, mm-hmm. uh, which I like. Yeah. And they, they really round him out very nicely in a very parsimonious way on his, honestly, that, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're on season three, episode three of the season at this point, mm-hmm. and he's already pretty well-rounded. Yeah. In terms of having a sense of who is who is this dude? Yeah, I like the oh. So another another thing on like superstition and magic that we get here is we get one Centauri view on luck, which oh, Veer explains, oh. which is bless that Veer. The the Veer's a good, a good boy. This is a good Veer episode. We get we get an excellent line from him where where Elric after doing his like flashy magic. Uh, like, oh God, what, what's the, uh, the you don't scare uh, easily. You do not fright it easily. I work for Ambassador Bellari. You get used to things. <laughs> it's so cool. oh, buddy. <laughs> oh. Um, and it's so true. Like, it's even it's it's a funny line until you think about like what he's been through in just one season, and you're like, <laughs> I mean, early yeah. in this episode, he's like. Like trimming Londo's hair while he's discussing treason. So I want to talk about this. What kind of hairstyling, like, what kind of hairstyling, like, lessons do young Centauri men get? Or, okay, is this just a thing that is required of, like, all diplomatic aides? Of that you just, like, you gotta be, like, ready to, like, freshen up your man's cut. I think it's Asking probably. The real questions here. I think it's got to be the latter, because I feel like Malari can't. Malari's the kind of nutter that would not let someone with like 
blades near him. Because think about this. Yeah. Consider this. <laughs> the size of a Centauri's do is indicative of their status. So you can't let some plebe near your hair because he might like cut it short and that's that's shame on your family. Okay. So it's got to be somebody you trust, right? Yeah. Second, barbershop talk is obviously a galactic constant. Yes. And you can't let some random barber hear you talking treason. It's got, I mean, the only person he can trust with with that is Veer. So clearly you that this is a this is a skill that you teach your your diplomatic aides. Poor Veer. This is this is honestly like yes. that was like that was just a little thing I noticed that it was so like funny to me and I was just like, oh Yeah. Uh but back on like back on Veer's superstitions, uh, he says that he believes that there are currents and eddies to the universe, flows that you have to that you have to know which ones will uh, will build you up and which ones will destroy you. And the ones that look like they'll build you up are most likely the ones that will destroy you and vice versa. And I think it's very interesting. And it's like, it, it's a very, it's a very insightful thing that Veer believes, but I don't think he's very good at putting it into action. Well, and he's also delivers this, this, wisdom with a like a tone of panic which is what makes the scene so good yeah because yeah like, it's the ones that look like there's you're that are that will build you up are the ones that will actually tear you down and the ones and that so, will yeah no he's, he's like panic he's like panicked and and like excited as well yeah there's that, a very like manic uh flight reaction kind of energy to his it's, to his uh description it's like a manic earnestness. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it because the it's a scene that really um stands up well to repeated viewing because you know, on its face, Veer seems like he's being kind of silly and rambling, but it's actually a very interesting philosophy. Mm-hmm. And it seems like something that he has indeed thought about. Um, he's just not good at expressing it at a moment's notice. Uh, I would also say it's pretty. It, it holds up pretty well with like how he behaves across the series too. There are definitely times when he fights the flow and stands up for things he believes in or he wants, and there are definitely times when he doesn't. When he kind of goes along with stuff that he knows he can't fight, and it's there are people in the show like Jakar, for example, who are a rock and a river, who will stand in one place and will punch an oncoming tide because it's there and because that's what they are, that's what they believe in. And then there are people like Franklin who are just scum on the top of the water and just kind of (laughs) float along being disgusting. And then there are people like Veer who, you know, sometimes you got to kind of get dragged along with the water and sometimes you 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 manage to swim upstream a little bit and i really like that about him it's it's actually i've always felt like it's a very mimbari feeling philosophy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i would like to talk about clark's third law mm. clark's third law for those of those of you who do not know uh amongst our listening audience is that uh 
it is from science fiction author Arthur C. Clarke, who had three laws of writing. The third law is that any sufficient technology is indistinguishable from magic. Um, yeah. I, I think that that has been, I think that's been something that gets quoted a lot and has influenced a generation of writers and not always for the best. Agreed. Um, mm-hmm. With both technology and magic and the desire that if you can explain technology, maybe you should. Because then, basically, my, my corollary to this is once you start explaining the, t- the sufficiently advanced technology, the magic starts to go away. Yeah. And I think that what's something that makes the Technomages land so perfectly and are instantly just one th- something that you can immediately accept about the Babylon 5 universe and are so captivating is there is never any attempt to explain anything. It just happens. Nobody doubts it. Nobody mm-hmm. just says, oh, this is a trick. Everybody has full buy-in. And that is what I expect yeah. of a good goddamn roleplay game party. And, the, <laughs> and yeah. it is it is it instant like everybody nobody doubts it. Nobody thinks like this is just a cheap trick or a hol- oh it's a hologram, whatever. Like it, it's all Yeah, it's a they're a weird lampshade of Clark's third law. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, they're they're sufficiently advanced. The whole, like, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. They are a sufficiently advanced technology that could be indistinguishable from magic, except the writing's on the outside of the box. Mm -hmm. They're not pretending to be magic. They're a sufficiently advanced technology that says we could, we might as well be magic. Like, they're wearing that label that law yeah. on the on their chests and and just saying who cares what's the difference nobody cares i like the line of saying that they they're appealing to like the magic of the heart too mm. and making that real but yeah I, I really like that you know yes everything that they're doing is technology but the magic part isn't just for show that there is something magical about it you know in in the more yeah. amorphous mm-hmm. meaning. Yeah, I think it's a, uh, and like, and they do different things. Like Elric never shows off his flashy magic with Sheridan because he knows yeah. that's not what Sheridan's interested in. He knows that Veer and Malari will react to the flashy bits. Yeah. And he does it for their, their expectations. That's but a really she- good observation. Yeah. But with Sheridan, he only just, he gives him a flower. And that's all what Sheridan needs to want that. And he lists off, you know, that that list in his little speech there of all of the, you know, true truths that they know. It's like, you know, kind of chilling, right? You know, the, you know, 14 words to make somebody love you forever seven word it, it's some you know it's very compelling in a human way mm-hmm. okay so i actually want to cross over to our other show anna 
And uh-huh. I think that there's a little bit of there's a, there might be a little bit of headology going here with our techno mages. Yeah, yeah. That's um an interesting thought there. Yeah, I just like they they know that like they, they it, it may be a different way, but like they are people who are not just students of science, but of truths and secrets. Uh, yeah, I really like that aspect, and you know, I I like also that Elric is able to identify that that's the bit that will appeal to Sheridan, yeah. who is super into mysteries and secrets, etc. As we'll as we'll come to see. Yeah. Um, also, I, I just want to just point this out. They know that something dark is coming, that a storm is coming, and they are leaving to preserve their knowledge. I like how fucking committed to the bit they are that they're not going to tell anybody what that is. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, like, they have to... They're clearly not just a bunch of, like, nerds with hologram projectors. If... They have somehow cottoned on to the shadows coming back before half the Great Council has figured out what the fuck is going on. And they recognize that this is a big enough deal that they're like, okay, we're going to get the fuck out of here because we have some knowledge that we feel is worth preserving. Like, I'm trying to remember my deeper B5 lore, but I think that there's actually a link between the Technomages, like the earliest Technomages, and Shadow Tech. I don't know the answer to that. I would be interested to look it up, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I seem to recall that there is some sort of link, but there isn't a current link. Elric gets to those two fantastic lines in this episode that, I mean, I quoted them specifically in our yep. summary just because they, like, when I watched those episodes, like I, I, this is about the time that I started handwriting notes for my initial watches, and then I'm rewatching them and retaking notes um, because I've officially become that dedicated to the bit now. Um, but the first time I wrote down the, uh, the the first time I read it, I wrote down the dreamer, shaper, singers, makers speech just because it was so good, and I'm just like, you're correct. Yeah, I also just looked it up and yeah, the the chat this is this is according to the B5 fandom wiki. So one might want to check the you know, sources on this. But according to this, the shadows created the Technomages technology and originally had plans to turn them into warriors of chaos and destruction. This is all from uh Crusade, so you don't have to Oh, I, I did it anyways. <laughs> I couldn't hear anything cuz when I plug my ears, tinnitus takes over. So, yeah, this is, I mean, honestly, I i wouldn't be lying if I said this might be my favorite episode yet. It's a good one. It's, it's a, a good, good choice. One. Yeah. And overall, this is like, it's its a lot we can talk about for like 45 minutes. And wizard shit is just cool. Yeah. Um, and I like how Elric can already piece together that Londo is going, is going to be a tool in the shadows to come. And then he's like... And I, I like. I think it's really interesting that that he's like, I'm not going to bother doing anything, because you're not going to listen to me. And if I kill you, something's just going to replace you. You're just the. You're just gonna like. There's an understudy who's just going to come on. You're just playing this role. 
And I, I love the phrasing of that there's a blemish on his soul. Yeah, which... Um, very, very evocative. Yeah, and, and normally, at least, I, 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 humans are not the ones we see talking about souls. Um, normally, that's the Minbari or maybe a, another alien race. But to see a... To, by by just like saying i can see this blemish on your soul is an interesting thing to hear from the technomages and i would also like to point out a side bit um which is at some point we see a prophecy i think i think you have seen this justin um there's a prophecy oh that's involving right. Wando. how did i forget that and there's a hand reaching out of the sky, out of the stars. Which episode is this? This episode. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's the it's hand the, it's, reaches out. But we see, but we see the hand in in another in a, in a different character's prophecy. That imagery comes back. So everybody, keep an eye out for that. Okay, interesting. Wizards. Um. No, okay, I have one last thing. All the costuming is super cool for the Techno Mages. They are Oh, uh, I know. They're, okay, is this Okay, so between this and the Drazi just deciding to sort themselves into team, this entire episode is about LARP fights and LARPers. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. We're just, you know, a couple hundred years away from Fireball turning into holographic Fireball. Because we are only doing this one episode, we are going to... uh, We've already talked a little bit about uh, our guide to Hey, I Know That Face, which is Michael Ansara, who most everyone will recognize uh, as Kang from Star Trek, the original series, and reprising that role on Deep Space Nine. And uh, Voyager. But he is also, for those of us 90s kids who uh, whose tastes ran a little bit more uh, cartoony, uh, he was the voice of Mr. Freeze in Batman the Animated Series. That's tight. Which, um, beautiful. If, if you are a Batman fan and you have not watched any of the Batman stuff involving Mr. Freeze from that Bruce Tim animated series, it's some good shit. <laughs> I mean, that's, for my money, that is like the definitive take on that character. What, you don't I mean, like not the, I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. The Batman the animated series is, for my money, the definitive take on, like, everything Batman. <laughs> I, I'm struggling to think of anything Batman I don't think of the animated series first and then something else later. And I, I'm, I'm coming up blank. So. All right. So we are done with wizard shit. Sadly, we are going to depart beyond the rim, but we will return next time uh, with two episodes. Uh, we are going to be discussing episodes four and five of season two, a distant star and the long dark until next time. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.
End of recording.